afraid of a global nuclear disaster? Or the likes of a Star Wars cosmic conflict? Are we on a countdown to the Battle of Armageddon? What does the future hold for our world? Have you tried to understand the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation only to be confused by all the symbols? These and many other amazing questions will be answered through this prophecy seminar. Yes, you can understand the books of Daniel and Revelation, and in the process, get to know God in a deeper way. Welcome to Prophecy Seminar, the book of Daniel. Here is your host, Pastor David Price. Well, good evening, friends. It's my pleasure and privilege to welcome you to Prophecy Seminar, lesson number 29 um, of this series. And it's really great to be together. Would you join me as we pray? Our loving Father in heaven, we are pausing a moment to acknowledge that you are the great God of the universe and your power is demonstrated in our lives. I pray a blessing on all who hear these messages and especially tonight that your Holy Spirit will lead and guide us. We ask it in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen. We'd like to thank you for joining us tonight in lesson number 29. It's entitled, What Happened on Earth in 1844? Please sit back and enjoy the visuals and I'll begin our lesson at the top of page two. The date 1844 marks the end of the longest time prophecy in the Bible. A prophecy that is at the very heart of the book of Daniel. 1844 marks the beginning of the first phase of the judgment and the beginning of the final work of Christ in the heavenly sanctuary prior to his return to this earth. Our attention in the Prophecy Seminar series has been directed to the heavenly sanctuary, where Jesus Christ is performing this final phase of his ministry. We have studied extensively about this work in heaven. However, equally fascinating is what happened on earth in 1844. While Daniel focuses our attention on the heavenly scenes, the book of Revelation focuses on a mighty movement that arises around 1844 back on earth. Revelation 10 foretells a special movement that was to arise at the end of the 2300-day prophecy. And in this lesson, in this session, we will look at the other side of Daniel's prophecy as we examine what happened on earth in 1844 which is a fulfillment of Revelation chapter 10. So thank you so much for joining us for session number 29. Our discovery questions tonight are number one, who is the mighty messenger of Revelation 10? It's interesting, but a lot of people um, miss the importance of who this person is. Number two, when did God raise up a special remnant movement to preach the special judgment hour message and thirdly why doesn't god ask his people to stay and reform the churches of babylon so if you'd like to join me halfway down page two these lessons are on uh, the internet via youtube under the description bar and you can follow along with us 
Let's go to question one. What kind of angel comes to earth with the message of Revelation chapter 10? We're diving into Revelation chapter 10 and verse 1. And this is what John the Revelator writes. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. Friends, when we read the word mighty angel, we have to reconsider who this being is from the rest of the description. The word angelos or messenger actually just means a heavenly being. It can refer to Jesus Christ himself. It can refer to an angelic being, a created being. And it can also refer to a man or a prophet. And we usually deduce who the messenger is from the context. So what kind of angel comes to earth with the message of Revelation chapter 10? It is a mighty angel. Well, let's dig in more and find out a little bit more. Describe the mighty one who gives this special message to John. Let's go back to verse 1. John said, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. Friends, when you look at this description, it reminds us of other descriptions of someone very, very important. Clove with the cloud, a rainbow on his head. His face was like the sun. His feet were like pillars of fire. You know, Malachi 4.2 says that Jesus Christ is the son, S-U-N, the son of righteousness. So let's try and work out who this is. Question three, in Revelation 1, John describes another person he saw in vision. Note the characteristics of this description. We're going to look at four verses, 13, 14, 15, and 16, and we're going to travel back to Revelation chapter 1. John writes, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. So notice he's clothed with the garment down to the feet. Head and hair were white like wool, and they were white as snow. His eyes were like what? The scripture says a flame of fire and his feet were like fine brass as if refined in a furnace. I guess John is trying to describe them almost being on fire. And his voice was as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. The two-edged sword, of course, is a reference to the word of God. 
So in Revelation 1, John describes another person he saw in vision. Note that the characteristics of this description, they're very unique. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. So friends, do we know who this is? It is obvious from a quick comparison of Revelation 1 and 10 that John is describing the same person. Now, what's even more remarkable is this same being is described very similarly back in Daniel chapter 10. And I'm sure you remember that we studied that in a previous session. So let's go to find out the identity of this being, this mighty angel. Who is this one that John is describing? We've already been given the answer in verse 13. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. You know that answer, the Son of Man, is actually Jesus Christ's favorite expression for himself. He loved to call himself the Son of Man because he had come to redeem mankind, humankind. We're at the top of page three. The one who brings this message in Revelation 10 is none other than Jesus himself. The one who is giving the revelation now continues it. Join me in question five. What does this mighty one have in his hand in Revelation 10 and verse 2? He had a little book open in his hand and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. What does the mighty one have? In his hand, he has a little book that is open. That's very significant. If you remember back to our study in Daniel, the fact that the little book is open would indicate that at one time, this book was closed. What book of the Bible was ever said to be closed? We go back to Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4. The angel said to Daniel in Daniel 12, 4, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end, when many shall run to and fro, meaning here and there, or to and from, and knowledge shall increase. So friends, what book of the Bible was ever said to be closed? The answer is the book of Daniel was shut and it was sealed and it was sealed unto the very end. The book of Daniel is the only book in the Bible ever said to be sealed up. The book of Daniel is an open book now, a revealing, but the book of Daniel was to be sealed. Just take a break for a moment. Friends, I want to remind you that we are encountering in Daniel 12, a little book that was closed or sealed to the time of the end. So when open, knowledge shall increase. That's not referring so much to secular knowledge, technical knowledge, scientific knowledge, as knowledge of, as knowledge of God's word as understood in the last days. And then if we travel forward from Daniel 12 to Revelation 10, we then find the fulfillment of the prophecy that the little book would be opened at the time of the end and that that book had once been closed. Friends, do you remember when Jesus was on earth? He spent three and a half years training his disciples. 
And at the end of that time, he sent them out two by two to take the gospel to the world. Those group of disciples actually ended up forming the New Testament church and they brought in the pure faith and doctrines that Jesus had taught them. And that reminds us that tonight's lesson in Revelation chapter 10 is showing us that Jesus Christ is setting up a mighty movement. He's raised it up by God. It was to appear after AD 1844. And that is the subject of our study tonight. And we're going to look for the earmarks, the waymarks of this organization. Let's go to identification point number one. Point number one is the movement, the mighty movement of Revelation 10, this group of people on the earth. It has to do with the unsealing of the book of Daniel. Now, some people might be a little bit vague about that, but there are very few communities of faith on the earth today who are bothering about the book of Daniel or the book of Revelation. In fact, some faiths say these books cannot be understood. They're mystical and they're full of symbols and beasts and are of no consequence to us today. Would you join me in question seven? We're halfway down page three in lesson 29. What happened on earth in 1844? How long was the book of Daniel to remain sealed? This is a good point. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. There is our answer. It's to be unveiled and revealed at the time of the end. Friends, the book of Daniel was not to remain sealed forever, but only until the time of the end. The fact that we today have been living, uh, have been able to understand the book of Daniel indicates clearly that we're living in the biblical time of the end. So identification point number two is that the movement of Revelation chapter 10 must actually arrive at the time of the end. Question eight, where is this mighty angel standing in Revelation chapter 10 and verse two? Because this is very significant. This mighty angel had a little book open in his hand and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot was on the land. What does this mean? Well, I think you remember back in Daniel chapter seven that the beast came out of the sea. So the sea stands for nations and peoples and languages, populated areas. The land is the opposite to the sea. That would stand for unpopulated, sparsely populated areas. And so this message is to go to the whole earth. In other words, it is a worldwide pro proclamation. His left foot would be on the sea and his, sorry, his right foot would be on the sea and his left foot would be on the land. Friends, the sea is a symbol of peoples, nations and tongues, a populated area of earth as explained in Revelation 17, 15. The earth being the opposite of the sea represents a wilderness area of the earth, an area that is not as populated. The fact that the angel has one foot on the land and the other foot on the sea would indicate the worldwide proclamation of a message that deals with the unsealing of the book of Daniel. That takes us to identification point number three. This mighty movement in Revelation 10 
must be a worldwide movement that covers the sea and the land. Question nine, what was John the Revelator, the disciple of Jesus, told to do with the revelation of the seven thunders in Revelation 10, verse four? We're working through this book verse by verse. Now, when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. Friends, this is a, an extraordinary incident and scenario. What is John told to do with the revelation of the seven thunders? To seal them up. Friends, thunder usually refers to the voice of God. And it usually refers to the voice of God in judgment. And so it may refer to the seven perfect and mysterious judgments of God. You know, any speculation really is pointless because God did not want us to know what those seven thunders said. Please join me at the top of page four. There is no further explanation given of the seven thunders. Something about this movement was revealed to John, but he was then told not to write it down, which leads us into identification point number four. There was something hidden from this movement of Revelation chapter 10 that God was raising up. Question number 10, what does the mighty angel proclaim about time in Revelation 10, five and six? The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. Friends, what does this angel proclaim about time? This is incredible, isn't it? That there should be delay or time no longer. Please join me for the visuals. This could not mean the end of the world since the rest of the chapter describes much activity on earth after the angel says that there shall be delay no longer. In the context of the passage, John is dealing with the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, there are many time prophecies. Most of Daniel was clearly interpreted and understood except for these time prophecies. Let me stop here. So as you look at the screen, you can see a number of time prophecies. The first one illustrated there is the 1260 years, which went from 538 AD, the installation of the Bishop of Rome, right through to the time that Pope Pius the six was taken captive by Napoleon's general, General Berthier. There's also the 2300 day year prophecy. And yet there's also another prophecy and these were all studied in prophecy seminar lesson number 13. Within the 2300 day prophecy, which goes from 457 BC to AD 1844, there is a piece that is cut off 
for Daniel's people and his nation. And that is the 70 week prophecy you can see there in the middle of the screen. 70 weeks are determined for your people, Daniel. 70 by 7 is 490 days or 490 years. And that run ran from 457 BC right through to AD 34. And so the three time periods are the 490 year prophecy, the 1260 year prophecy and the 2300 day year prophecy. I'm going back to the note. Please have a look at the screen. These prophecies were sealed up until the time of the end. When the angel proclaimed that there shall be delay no longer, he would then be referring to the end of the time prophecies. In other words, when the movement of Revelation 10 arose, we would have come to the end of the time prophecies of the book of Daniel. The longest of those time periods, the 2300 day prophecy, actually ended in AD 1844 with, as you can see on the screen, the cleansing of the heavenly sanctuary and God's judgment. That takes us to identification point number five. The movement in Revelation 10 must arrive around or after AD 1844. Let's go to question 11. Thank you so much for joining us. What will be finished under the preaching of this movement? We are just tracking through Revelation chapter 10, verse by verse. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished, as he declared to his servants, the prophets. So friends, what will be finished under the preaching of this movement? The thing that would be finished and completed would be the mystery of God. What is this mystery of God? If you've got your, uh, your pen handy, I've got a number of texts that are not in the lesson guide that you might like to jot down in the margin. So when we look at the mystery of God, we get extra information in Ephesians 6.19. Paul wrote, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. So the mystery of God is tied up with the mystery of the gospel. The gospel is the good news that makes the heart to sing and the feet to dance. That is the good news that God loves us. He loves all of his children. He loves all of his people and he loves everyone. And he wants to save his people from their sins and take them into eternity. We get some more information on the mystery in Romans 16, 25. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began. So this mystery of God, this mystery of the gospel has been kept secret since the world began. What does that mean? We get more information in Revelation 13 and verse 8, that all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So friends, the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world is a reference to Jesus Christ. The decision that Jesus Christ would come and die was made before the foundation of the world. And that is the actual mystery. The mystery is why would 
the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit love the people on planet Earth so much that one of them, and that person was the Lord Jesus Christ, would come down and die for us if we should make the wrong decision at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. That is the great mystery of the universe. The mystery of God is his great plan of salvation, the note says. Through the preaching of the movement of Revelation 10, God's message will go into all the world and will be finished. See Matthew 24, 14 and Revelation 14, 6 to 12, which is where you'll find the messages of the three angels. Identification point number six, the movement of Revelation 10 gives the final warning message. What is the final warning message for planet Earth? Very simply, it's summarized in three messages, the three angels' messages, which are not literal angels, but symbolic of three messages to be given at the very end of time. And what is the purpose of that? That they then prepare the world for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Let's just remind ourselves of Revelation 14, 6 to 12. What are those three angels' messages? The first one is fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come. It is a call to worship the Lord God on the day that he created. And that is that at the end of creation week, the Lord God actually made the seventh day Sabbath. We live in the time of the judgment and we are to worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the seas and the springs or fountains of waters. The second angel message calls God's last day people out of all false religions, religions that do not honor him, religions that do not worship him, religions that have no regard for the God of heaven, nor for his holy scripture. The third warning is a very solemn and dangerous warning. Refuse the mark of disobedience and rebellion. To refuse the mark of the beast and the image of the beast is what God's last day people are called to do. And so, friends, those three messages, those three angels' messages are to be given by God's last day remnant people, the mighty movement of Revelation chapter 10. They are not popular messages by any means, but truth is too important to be popular. Please join me in question 12 at the bottom of page four. What was John to do with the little book? How would it taste in his mouth? And how would his stomach feel? This is uh, very, very interesting, isn't it? Let's go to Revelation 10 verses eight to 10. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, give me the little book. And he said to me, take and eat it and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I, John, took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. So what was John told to do? This is all symbolic, isn't it? He was told to eat the book. It initially would be sweet and delicious and then would become potent and bitter.
The little book of Revelation 10 was the book of Daniel. To devour the book means that people become so enthralled and excited at what they saw as the prophecies of Daniel and as they were unsealed that they just ate it up. It was a sweet and blessed experience, sweet indeed as honey to the mouth, to understand these great prophecies of the book of Daniel. But then their excitement was to turn bitter as they went through a bitter disappointment with the book of Daniel. Friends, would you just like to pause there with me? And I would like to give you some historical information based on this great and bitter disappointment. The Millerites were a group of last day Christians based in the New England area in the United States of America. And so the Millerites and many other Christian groups, even around the world, believed that Jesus Christ would come at the end of the 2,300 years on October 22, 1844. Ellen White wrote, this was the happiest year of my life. My heart was full of glad expectation. If you knew that perhaps Jesus was coming October 22 next year, can you imagine the joy and happiness that would bring? But friends, the great disappointment came in October 23, 1844. And so here is the description of what happened, written by Hiram Edson. We looked for our coming Lord until the clock told 12 at midnight. That was October 22, 1844. The day had then passed and our disappointment became a certainty. Our fondest hopes and expectations were blasted and such a spirit of weeping came over us as never experienced before. We wept and wept till the day dawned. Friends, when Jesus Christ did not come as they expected, they were bitterly disappointed. So what happened? Well, friends, what's interesting is that around the world before this time, God had raised up missionaries to warn that they were in the end time and Jesus Christ would come soon. Joseph Wolfe was a young boy who felt convicted by God at the age of seven. He was raised in a Jewish family, but left home early to go out and discover who Jesus Christ was and whether he was the Messiah of the world. He traveled to the Middle East, to North Africa, England and India, and thousands were converted and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Catholic priest Manuel Lacunza, who called himself Ben Ezra, spoke about the coming of the Messiah and preached him around South America. Edward Irving did the same in Britain, while Thomas Playford gave the warning in Adelaide in Australia. William Miller also spoke to the people in New England, uh, in the United States of America, and the message went out to the world. But friends, on October 22, 1844, when Jesus Christ did not come as they had prayed and waited and expected, they suffered a bitter, bitter disappointment. Friends, I want to share with you another bitter disappointment. And that is that the Lord Jesus Christ came in Jerusalem as a conquering king riding on a colt and he was accepted as the Messiah. But within a short period of time, everything went terribly wrong according to the expectations and hopes 
of the disciples and the followers of Jesus. He was condemned to die and then he was crucified on a cross. I want to tell you, this is the original great disappointment of AD 31. You know, often our plans are not God's plans and we have to pray that God's plans will succeed. A wonderful thing happened, though, that all of those who've been following after Jesus, who did not truly believe in him, many turned their backs on him because he did not meet their earthly expectations and they walked away. The early church was strengthened by those who stayed and continued to study the prophecies and they joined together and the Christian church became very strong in New Testament times. The same thing happened with the groups of believers in the 1840s. Many had joined the Advent band believing in the second coming of Christ just because they were afraid that if Jesus came, they wouldn't be ready. But they had no deep commitment. And then when Jesus didn't come, they walked away and they ridiculed their former friends and believers. And so this early movement of Revelation chapter 10 was purified and strengthened as many walked away. But those who stayed actually did more study and had stronger reasons for belief. That takes us to identification point number seven. Point number seven is the understanding of Daniel would be a pleasant, happy experience, but it would end in a bitter disappointment and make them feel sick in the stomach. Question 13, would you join me at the top of page five? Thank you so much. After the bitter disappointment of the book of Daniel, what was the movement of Revelation chapter 10 to do? And the mighty angel said to me, John, you must prophesy again about or before many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. The work of that group raised up in the 1840s and beyond was to prophesy again that the Lord Jesus Christ was still going to come. Friends, Early Adventists preached the soon return of Jesus Christ and this message spread around the world as people regained their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his soon second coming. Point number eight is this movement, they were to arise and go into all the world again with the message of the book of Daniel. Question 14 says, review the, review the eight marks of identification that Revelation 10 has given us describing this movement in Revelation 10. Well, point number one, it has to do with the unsealing of the book of Daniel. And as I already explained, there are very, very few churches today or faith groups and communities who actually will read the book of Daniel and try and understand it. This movement arises at the end of time. When does the end of time begin? Well, we know in 1780, uh, there was the uh, falling of the stars and the dark day. The dark day and the, uh, the red moon was 1780, the falling of the stars in 1833. And then in 1844, there was the time of the end because it was at the end of the 2300 year prophecy. This Movement would also be a worldwide movement. It would stand on the sea and it would stand on the land. There's something hidden from movement 
from the movement of Revelation 10 as described by the seven thunders. And this movement must arise at the end of the prophetic time periods around 1844. This movement gives the final warning message that prepares the world for the second coming of Christ, finishing the mystery of God. And number seven, the understanding of Daniel would be a pleasant and happy experience, but it would end in bitter disappointment. And point eight, it was to go forth with renewed zeal after the disappointment and present to all the world the message of Daniel. And we're doing that with you tonight. We're at the top of page six in question 15. Did such a movement as described in Revelation 10 arise and fulfill these eight marks of identification? And I think you know the answer, don't you? The answer is yes. There arose in the mid 19th century, a special movement that fulfilled every one of these eight marks of identification to the very letter. For the exciting story of the origin of the movement of Revelation 10, please see Exhibit 1 in this lesson. So friends, I am not going to read that to you. Many have done that for homework, and I'm glad of that, but I would like to summarize it very, very briefly for those who haven't had an opportunity to go through the exhibit and have a look at the historical material that will go through and explain what happened. The movement of Revelation 10, point number one, over the centuries of time, the second coming of Jesus Christ became a forgotten doctrine of the Bible. The enemy of souls, Lucifer, Satan, the devil, has always tried to distract God's people from believing in and following and preparing for the second coming of Jesus Christ. However, in the 1780s and 1840s, in that time period, there was a renewed interest in the second coming of Christ based on the 2300-day prophecy of Daniel 8 and 9. This became a worldwide movement in England, Scandinavia and the USA and many other parts of the world. The leader of the movement in the USA was a certain Mr. William Miller. And William Miller was a Baptist and he was also a farmer, but he became a preacher. Miller believed that at the end of the 2300 years, the sanctuary, which he thought was the earth, it would be cleansed, meaning by fire. Many different people believed that Christ would come in their lifetime at the end of the 2300 days, which was 1844. Well, Miller was convicted in 1831 that he should publicly preach the second coming. He preached all over the USA to many different faiths and a phenomenal revival broke out and lots of people accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour. Well, when the stars fell on November 12 and 13, 1833, many then accepted Miller's preaching because they were afraid that Jesus really was coming and they weren't ready. Miller preached a pre-millennial pre appearance of Jesus Christ, Jesus coming before the thousand years, instead of the traditional post-millennial teaching that Jesus would come after the 1,000 years of Revelation 20. This message spread like wildfire around the world. Please have a look in the exhibit uh, and review Loughborough's quote on page three. When some Protestant churches rejected the second coming doctrine, the Millerite movement bought the world's biggest tent and carted it around America, preaching the message of the soon return of Jesus. 
This movement was very biblically based. They always stood on God's word. See the historical quote, the top of page four. When Jesus had not returned by March 21, 1843, which was the Jewish year and the Jewish reckoning of the date, they restudied to get the exact month and day right. They found it was the 10th day of the Jewish seventh month, which approximated in our calendar to October 22, 1844. Well, during this time, another 50,000 members left their churches to join the Millerite movement. But at midnight on October 22, 1844, they realized that the sweet message of the soon return of Jesus Christ had turned into a bitter disappointment. Well, some left the group and two groups then formed from the original Millerites. Number one, a group called Advent Christians. Advent just means something that comes again. Advent is like the second coming of Jesus Christ. And the other group were known as Seventh-day Adventists. Seventh-day Adventists have, please note, never set a date for the second coming of Christ. In fact, Alan White, one of the early leaders, warned against date setting, reminding the early Seventh-day Adventist church that Jesus had said, quoting Matthew 24, 36, that no man knoweth the day nor the hour. However, a small group of believers had faith that God would still lead them. Hiram Edson's group of believers found out that the sanctuary was actually in heaven, not on the earth, and that 1844 marked not the end of the world, but merely the final or third phase of the judgment in heaven. What I should have said there was that the sanctuary was not the earth, not on the earth. So friends, they discovered the true meaning of 1844 was that the judgment began in heaven as Jesus moved from the holy place through the curtain into the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. And so 1844 was the cleansing of the heavenly sanctuary, not the cleansing of the earth by fire at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Through extra Bible study and prayer, this group then accepted these great teachings about the heavenly sanctuary, the seventh day Sabbath, the second coming of Jesus Christ, and the advent of the spirit of prophecy for last day believers as being foundational Bible truths that have been lost during the dark ages. By studying Revelation chapter 10 and verse 11, early seventh day Adventists realized that they had a worldwide mission to warn the world to prepare for the future coming of Jesus Christ. So in 1863, the Seventh-day Adventist Church was born to raise up people to be ready for judgment and the second coming of Jesus Christ. I just want you to be very clear that the Seventh-day Adventist Church did not exist until 1863 when it was formally organized into a body of believers and a church denomination. Well, our second and final heading on page six is God's final call. What is God's final call? Question 16, how far and wide is God's last day message to be preached? We're in Revelation 14 and verse six. It's the first angel's message. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, 
tribe, tongue, and people. So how far and wide does this message have to go? It has to go around the complete globe. It goes to every nation, every tribe, every language group and dialect, dialect and every people. Friends, today the Seventh-day Adventist Church is operating in over 95% of the countries of the earth. It is truly a worldwide movement carrying the message of the soon coming of Christ into all the world. Let me give you some extra that's not in the lesson. Please direct your attention to the screen. Let's take a break for a minute. I'm asking the question, is the Seventh-day Adventist Church a worldwide church? Well, let's have a look at some fascinating statistics. Would you believe that every day the Seventh-day Adventist Church shares Jesus Christ in over 901 dialects and languages? Secondly, it baptizes 2,199 people. Now, these are the statistics from the year 2020, and that is we need to remember that prior to the pandemic, these figures were closer to 3,000 people being baptized per day around the world. Point number three, that the church rises and raises up five new church plants every day. And prior to 2020, it was nearly 10 new church plants every day. Because the shutdowns and lockdowns around the world have affected all the churches and faiths of the world. There are one Seventh-day Adventist person for every 358 people. And every day, the Seventh-day Adventist church, it grows its 21.6 million members. Now, those figures only relate to adult members and does not include children. And so the numbers around the world of the Seventh-day Adventist church, if children were included, would be well over 25 million people. Friends, the Seventh-day Adventist Church is currently working in 212 out of the 235 United Nations recognized countries or over 90% of the world. And so out of all the Protestant churches, although the Seventh-day Adventist Church would be one of the smallest at, say, 25 plus million, it is represented in more countries of the world than most other Protestant churches. In fact, the Roman Catholic Church is in 219 plus countries of the world and therefore is represented in 93% of the countries of the world. Is the Seventh-day Adventist Church an educational church? It certainly is. It's raised up 9,489 schools, which are primary schools and secondary schools, colleges and universities. It has over 2 million students and nearly 112,000 teachers around the world. We ask the question, is the Seventh-day Adventist Church a humanitarian church? It certainly is. It believes in medical work, the right, hand, the right arm of the gospel. It has 229 hospitals. It has had 1.5 million inpatients and over 21 million plus outpatients. And it currently has over 143,000 employees. Friends, we've asked the question tonight, is the Seventh-day Adventist Church a worldwide church? And does it qualify to be equated with the mighty movement of Revelation 10? And the answer is yes.
I could have taken you on a journey around the planet and even through fascinating India showing you uh, instances of educational institutions and uh, hospitals when my father was there a few years ago. Absolutely incredible. Um, but in terms of time, we're going to limit that tonight. Question 17, what special message does the Church of the Last Days proclaim? Let's go to the first angel's message. The first angel's message for the world is fear God. It means to love and respect him and obey him and give glory to him by living it out in your life. Why? For the hour of his judgment has come. It's here now. And we need to worship him who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and the springs of water. Friends, how do we do that? By worshipping on a day that evolution has given us or by worshipping on a day that man has given us or by worshipping on the day that God gave us his original day of worship in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, the day he blessed, rested and sanctified. What special message does the church of the last days proclaim in Revelation 14 and verse 7? The answer is the hour of his judgment has come. The Seventh-day Adventist church is the only church upon the face of the earth today proclaiming the judgment hour message. Friends, that's true because churches today do not want to speak about the judgment because if you speak about the judgment, you have to raise the uncomfortable question, what is the judgment based on? And the obvious answer would be that any judgment by God would be based on his Ten Commandment law. And so many churches and faiths today have done away with the entire Ten Commandment law. And so that is why people today have not heard that there even is a judgment or even that the judgment is on now. No other church is proclaiming the judgment beginning in AD 1844. The central message of the book of Daniel is totally neglected by most churches, yet Revelation 14.7 declares it to be part of the special final warning message to be given to the world before Jesus comes. Friends, I just want to remind you that this church is actually a church of prophecy. It's in prophecy. It's a church of prophecy. It's a church mentioned in Revelation chapter 10. And if you think the interpretation given tonight is false, then I'd be very interested on how you would actually interpret Revelation chapter 10 yourself based on the unsealing of the book of Daniel. So this church runs Revelation seminars. Prophecy seminar is the one that you are going through at the moment. And the Daniel seminar, Secrets of Prophecy, and uh, the Prophetic Code, these are all fantastic programs that bring God's last day warning message to the world. Join me in question 18. Jesus declares that he is the good shepherd and knows his sheep. What has Christ done for his sheep? We're in John 10, 14 and 15. What did Jesus say to us? He said, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. There's our answer. What has Christ done for us? He's laid down his life for the sheep. Freely, of his own free choice, he gave his life. Jesus knows us. He's given his precious life for us. He has died for our sins. He loves us that much. Well, friends, a very important question is, are all of God's sheep in Christ's fold now? Are they? 
The answer is no, according to what Jesus said in John 10 and verse 16. Jesus said, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Friends, Jesus has sheep in other pastures, in other flocks. Friends, let us never forget that God has people in all the churches and denominations in the world. They love and serve him faithfully in harmony with the light and truth that they have. They may not be in Christ's true fold at this time, but they are still his sheep. They belong to him and he still loves them and died for them. Join me at the top of page seven for question 20. What is to happen to Christ's sheep who are not in his fold at the present time? Well, Jesus tells us in John 10, 16. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, meaning in this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Friends, that one flock will be his one great last day remnant church, and he will be the true shepherd of that church. What is to happen to Christ's sheep who are not in his fold at the present time? He says he will draw them. He will bring them via the power of the Holy Spirit, and these sheep will hear his voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Friends, tonight I want to say this to you. Maybe you are one of God's sheep who are not in the one true fold of the remnant church now, but you are still God's sheep. He lovingly calls you, even if you're a black sheep, and he says that if you are a true sheep of Jesus Christ, when he calls you, you will hear his voice and you will come and become a part of his last day remnant church, part of the one fold. What will those do who truly love Jesus in John 14, 15? Jesus said the test, the test of true love is this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not five, not seven, not nine, but the whole ten. If you love me, you will obey me and do the things I've asked you to do. You know, friends, what Jesus is telling us tonight is if you love me, don't just tell me, show me. Don't just say it in words. I would want you to show it by your lifestyle. I want you to show it by your actions. Question 22, how does the Bible describe the remnant who are in the one fold? We've studied this before, haven't we? Just a few weeks ago. The dragon was enraged with the woman. Satan is angry with the pure church. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who are the remnant, the ones who remain, the ones at the end. These people keep the commandments of God, the whole ten, and they have the testimony of Jesus Christ, which is the Holy Spirit, the spirit of prophecy. Well, how does the Bible describe the remnant who are of this one fold? They firstly keep all the commandments of God, and secondly, they have the testimony of Jesus Christ. The Seventh-day Adventist Church is the only church that teaches people to observe all the commandments of God and has the testimony of Jesus Christ, which is the spirit of prophecy, the Holy Spirit who gives prophecy. Question 23, how does John describe those who proclaim the three angels' messages? In Revelation 14, 12, 
Here is the patience of the saints. Better translated, here are the saints who endure to the end. Here are those who, firstly, one, keep the commandments of God, and secondly, keep the faith of Jesus Christ. There's our answer. They keep God's commandments and they have the faith of Jesus Christ and they have the faith in Jesus Christ. 24, what final call does God give to his people who are in Babylon? Revelation 18 verse 4. John writes, and I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. Friends, that's interesting, isn't it? That Babylon actually is a place where the plagues are poured out. What final call does God give to his people who are in Babylon? Come out of her, my people, God says. He has his people there. Lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. And that's something we're going through at the moment. God extends the final invitation. He invites his people to follow the truth of his word, to enter into a dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ that will enable us to keep the commandments of God through the power of the indwelling Christ. Jesus invites us to become a part of the remnant people of Bible prophecy who are extending this final warning message into all the world. Well, join me in question 25. Is it your desire to come out of Babylon and become a part of God's final movement, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and help proclaim this message into all the world? Friends, I want to tell you this, that I don't know exactly what the future holds, and sometimes it's very, very scary. But I want to tell you today that I do know the person who holds my future, and that is my Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And he will put you in the palm of his hand that no one, not even the enemy of souls, Satan and Lucifer the devil can pluck you out of the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you and I don't need to be afraid of the future. Second Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Friends, we don't have to be afraid because Jesus Christ replaces fear with faith in him as we stand on the rock. I want to say to you tonight that God is making a call to you to come into God's last day ark. In ancient times, you know, Noah built an ark for the people and also for the animals. In these last days, God has built a last day remnant church and that is his ark. And he's calling people to join this last great remnant movement as we have rediscovered it tonight in Revelation chapter 10. I'm going to ask you tonight what's holding you back. Are you waiting for something to change at work or something to change at home in your family? Are you waiting for some sign in the heavens, this falling of the stars or some heavenly portent? Friends, I want to tell you that God is calling your heart today, tonight in this moment and i am asking you to seriously consider this call why am i saying that because the majority of people were left behind in noah's time the message is about to go out in revelation 22 11 to the world he who is unjust let him be unjust still 
And he who is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. Friends, Jesus is saying, freeze, stay exactly as you are. I'm coming ready or not. Friends, God's last day remnant church is not in the majority. You can never base truth on a majority vote. God's last day remnant church is not the most popular church because truth rarely wins a popularity context. God's last day remnant church is not the most spectacular because God values truth more than architecture. God's last day remnant church does not need the approval of popular religious leaders or politicians. Friends, why? Because truth is truth, rather religious leaders accept it as truth or not. So who can be saved? Well, there were eight saved. Do you remember the story? How many people went on to Noah's Ark? Just Mr. and Mrs. Noah, their three sons and three wives. Eight were saved out of billions who lived before the flood. And then I've got another number here. Does anyone remember a family of four that became a family of three? Many of you remember that the angels dragged Lot and his two daughters and his wife out of Sodom. Friends, Mrs. Lot didn't make only three out of four made it because Mrs. Lot actually forgot something. She left something behind in the city of Sodom and that was her heart. It's so significant that Jesus even warned us to remember Lot's wife. Is our heart fixed on the things of this world and the things of materialism because God is calling us out of Babylon and he's calling us to worship him and to get our lives ready because soon Jesus is going to take us home. The question comes, who can be saved? In fact, who was being saved at the cross? We have only five names recorded in scripture. Let's go to those five names. Who were they? Jesus comments on the cross to John the Apostle who's standing there with Jesus' mother. We're in John 19, 25 and 26. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, that's Jesus' mother Mary, and his mother Mary's sister. Then there's also Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. Yes, Mary is a very popular name. When Jesus therefore saw his mother, and the disciple whom he loved, which is a reference to John, the disciple, later John, the revelator who gave us revelation. Jesus sees John there standing by. He said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And to John, he said, son, behold your mother. There's a lot of evidence that John took Mary out of Jerusalem and out of Judea and out of uh, the land of Israel and up to the land of today, we'd call it Turkey, but Asia Minor, to the city of Ephesus. There are many churches and monuments there to the Apostle John and to Jesus' mother, who was Mary. Friends, so only five really mentioned at the cross made it. You can see that truth is never in the majority, that uh, God judges people by their hearts because God loves all people, but he especially loves his church, they are the apple of his eye, the object of his supreme regard. I'm asking you tonight, is it your desire to come out of Babylon and to become a part of God's final movement? And we're inviting you tonight, I'm inviting you tonight as a pastor and minister of the Seventh-day Adventist Church 
to join us and help proclaim this amazing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ into all the world. Please contact me if you would like to do that and be baptised or rebaptized, or make a commitment. What we will discover tonight and what did we discover in tonight's lesson? We learned who is the mighty messenger of Revelation 10. The answer is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, as found in Daniel 10, Revelation chapter 1, and Revelation chapter 10. All three are very similar descriptions of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour. When did God raise up a special remnant group to preach the special judgment hour message after the 2300 days finished in AD 1844? That was absolutely necessary because in the dark ages from 538 to 1798 AD, during that time, people had lost track of God's word. The Bible was forbidden them. They couldn't read it. It was in Latin. It was chained to pulpits in churches. And so during the dark ages, people didn't know what God's requirements were. And so God's last day remnant church has been able to re-emphasize the great truths of scripture. Question three, why doesn't God ask his people to stay inside and reform the churches of Babylon? The answer is because they've disobeyed God and his law. Friends, there is a lot of defiance today by people who are in the large communities of faith, the large denominations. Friends, truth is not based on how big or how rich and how wealthy an organization is. And so in this painting called Defiance, God is calling his last day true people out of the churches of Babylon. And so the question is, will they come out? I pray the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart tonight. And if the Holy Spirit is telling you that you need to come out of Babylon, I ask that God will give you the strength to follow his voice and make a decision and go all the way. Well, we're going to look at our response questions and then our quiz tonight. Question number one, if it is clear to you that God has called the Seventh-day Adventist Church into existence to complete the work of the Reformation, and prepare a people for the coming of the Lord. I'm asking you to place a tick in box number one. If you are one of God's sheep that wants to heed Christ's call to come into the one fold and become a part of the Seventh-day Adventist movement, I'm asking you to tick box number two. You can also contact your local Seventh-day Adventist church wherever you are around the world, and they will be happy to speak with you, and you can even ask that you can undergo Bible studies. Let's go through the quiz questions tonight. They're true and false. Number one, the mighty messenger of Revelation 10 is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself, true or false. Number two, the movement of Revelation 10 deals with the unsealing of the book of Revelation, true or false. Number three, the movement described in Revelation 10 is to arise around 1844 and preach the start of the Judgment Hour message. True or false? Number four, the Seventh-day Adventist Church arose in the aftermath of the Great Advent Awakening of the mid-19th century. However, SDAs never predicted a date for the Lord to come. True or false? And number five, God has believers in all churches and asks them to stay there. 
even when they learn that the truth is taught by the remnant church, true or false. Well, friends, thank you for considering the quiz questions. Let's go quickly and answer as we close our meeting. Number one, the answer is true. Number two, the answer is false. Number three, the answer is true. Number four, the answer is true. And number five, the answer is false. Give yourself a score out of five. Five, the answer is true, false, true, true, false. Thank you so much. Well, in our wall of truth in the Revelations, in the Revelation and Daniel seminar, we have learned tonight that we have been able to identify God's last day remnant church, the ones who remain. And that is what we've learned tonight in our wall of truth in the prophecy seminar. In our next session, prophecy seminar, lesson number 30, we're going to look at sharing Daniel's message with the world. This is what we'll learn. How do people on earth join into the body of Christ? Number two, what form of organization did the New Testament church actually have? And number three, what percentage is a tithe? And number four, what are Christians told to seek after first? I want to just remind you, if you are doing the exam that goes with this series, it's found in lesson 32. That will need to be handed in on the night of Wednesday, December 1, or beforehand at any time. Please contact me. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, our Saviour and Holy Spirit, we want to thank you for your Holy Spirit gently and carefully revealing the meaning of Revelation chapter 10. It's a very curious and intriguing chapter, Heavenly Father, and we thank you for helping us to understand how it fits in with the sealing and unsealing of the book of Daniel. We thank you that you've raised up a last day remnant church, a church that is not afraid to keep all the commandments of God and celebrate the faith of Jesus and also have the Holy Spirit who gives prophecy. Father, tonight I pray for those who will hear this message wherever they are around this great globe, this great planet Earth. And I pray, Father, that our hearts will be open to you, that we will study your word more and be ready every day through prayer and Bible study and sharing, and that we'll all be ready for the very soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I ask it in Jesus' precious name. Let all the people say, Amen. been listening to Prophecy Seminar, the book of Daniel with Pastor David Price. For more information about this series, you can visit the YouTube page, True Blue SDA, all one word. That's True Blue SDA. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.